What if when we approach the Bible that we could actually learn something from God's word that was just not on the surface, but was actually a little bit deeper than the surface? What if we could actually study the word of God, study the Bible and understand it in great detail? Well, that's a question we've actually been asking here over the last, can you believe it, eight weeks. And we're in week eight of nine. And in doing a series of Colossians, I felt like that it's not really that useful for me to give you details. Because details are things that you can Google. Details are things that you can go down to Berean and buy a book. They'll supply you with details. If I'm actually going to tackle a whole book of the Bible, then I want to actually teach you something that will be useful for you from here onward in your life, which is how to understand the Bible a little more deeply than what we do. You see, most of us read the Bible mosaically. Most of us read the Bible. We pick out a verse. We think about it. We reflect on that verse. The problem is that's not the way the Bible was actually designed to be read. They didn't even have verses in the ancient world. And so what happens is it's important that we actually read it in context. We understand it. So we're going to talk this morning about Colossians. And if you haven't had a chance to be here the last couple of weeks, you can check it out on the podcast if you want to go through the whole series. I, I do recommend it on this series. I think it's something that you'll definitely learn. And hey, it's not every church in the world where you get to talk about Zeus and all kinds of other cool things each Sunday either. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, that's on the podcast also as well. So the secret, this is the series that we've been working through. Our nine week series in is a book study of Colossians. Here's our strategy over the last couple of weeks. What we've actually been doing is building a house. We've been constructing and looking at tearing apart the book of Colossians to understand what Paul is trying to say to us and what Paul is trying to teach us. One of the problems that we face when we read the letters of Paul is that we assume that they're letters because we've been taught their letters. And in fact, the parts of the Bible that never really went with the Bible, but were added later, it'll say in your Bibles, the letter of Paul to the Colossians or just Colossians or whatever the case may be. The book of Colossians is not really a letter. Yes, it was sent in letter form and it has a beginning and it has an ending like a letter, but really what it is is a rhetorical argument. We actually gave examples the first week of letters from the ancient world, and one of them was from a guy named Theon. And Theon wrote his dad, who was going to Alexandria, said, hey, dad, if you don't buy me a guitar, I'm never going to speak to you again. So when you come back from Alexandria, you better have a guitar on that trireme with you when you come back. That's pretty much like today, isn't it? Same thing. And so what happens is Paul actually is making a rhetorical argument. He wrote something that he wants the church to read over and over and over again. He wrote it so that we would think about it so that, and as God inspired it, so that it would challenge us over and over again in our response to God. We're building a house because the whole point of Colossians is what? To live our lives in a way that glorify God. We want to build something that stands the test of time. Don't we? I do. I want my life to mean something in this universe. And so God has given us a book in the Bible that teaches us how to build a life that is of value and of meaning to God. All right, let's do our Mad Libs. Everybody want to take out their Mad Libs just for a second? If you have your Mad Libs in your bulletin, we've been working down through um, the book of Colossians and on side A of your Mad Libs, it's almost completely filled out now. There's only a few extra spaces for you to work, write in words. On side A is actually the book of Colossians that I have distilled down into a couple simple sentences. So if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, you can actually read this. And it sort of is the simple, very easy version of Colossians, just in a few lines. If people ask you at work, hey, what is the book of Colossians about? You point right here and tell them, you'll know exactly what the book of Colossians is about. And then on side B is what we're going to talk about today. And you take the big points of side B, plug them into side A, and boom, your Mad Lib is done for the day. All right, I like Mad Libs. My four-year-old son likes Mad Libs. And so that's what we've been doing. That's the side A part. All right, let's talk about this. The first week, let's recap real quickly. The first week, Paul does what? In his letter to Glossa, he says, hey, everybody, I'm Paul. 
uh, I've never met you, but God has inspired me to write a letter to you that will challenge you in your faith both today and in the, next, in the ensuing years. He starts by what? First week we talked about he does what in his letter? He clears the ground. He says, listen, you're a believer now. That's your starting point. You made a decision to follow Christ and that's your starting point and everything else from your life will follow from that point of view. How many of us have gone to church at some point in our life, raised our hand in a service and felt like, oh yeah, I'm going to do something with the Lord now. Or maybe you went to confirmation or maybe you were baptized as a child or whatever it may be. You felt like there was a change and then you're like, well, what do I do now? Great. That's what the book of Colossians is about. It's going to tell you what to do now. It's going to help you build a life of value for God. So the first week we cleared the ground and we're going to say that our life begins now because we're followers of Jesus. The second week, we talked about the fact that we want to get the vision. So we unroll the plans. We unroll the plans and we see that Paul says what? That the vision of our life, the plan and design of our lives is to honor God, to honor God with our lives. That's what God has asked us to do. He's not asked us to do ritual. He's not asked us to do religion. He has asked us to simply honor him with, with our lives. Here's the problem though that points out, that Paul points out in the second week we dealt with. You cannot honor God if you don't know who God is. Hey, you know what? If I call that chair God and I bow down before that chair, that chair ain't God. Bad grammar aside, that chair is not God. The problem is, is that Americans are really good at making images of God. They can say, I can go up on a mountain, I can commune with God, and that that's good enough. But that, my friends, is not what God wants. I can sit in my man cave. We're going to talk about man caves in a minute. But I can sit in my man cave and I can play video games all day and tell, tell myself that that honors my wife, but it does not. And so we want to know what our wives, what our God wants from us. And we will do the things that he wants. Why? Because it, then it shows that we love him and that we honor him. The third week we talked about laying the foundation. If you don't know anything about a house, the foundation of the house is the most important part. If you don't have a good foundation, the house goes and falls over. You have a leaning tower of Pisa or San Jose or wherever you happen to live, leaning tower of Berryessa. And so the first week we put down the formwork. That's those things when you go to the job site, you see the big... Uh, plywood pieces and you ha see all the, the bars and stuff down. I'm not a general contractor, so uh, forgive my ignorance in the expression, but here's what it is right here. Picture of it. The foundation, Paul says, the preliminary foundation of our lives is who Jesus is. And we talked about that week, the fact that Jesus is fully God in flesh, that he is bigger than Zeus, that he is bigger than any other conception of God that exists in the ancient world or in our world today. He is bigger than all of that, that he is God in flesh. And then next week we talked about laying the foundation, which is pouring the concrete. And Paul says that the work of Jesus is the foundation of our lives, is the concrete that we build our whole lives on. What does Jesus do? He comes to earth and he sacrifices for us. As I mentioned over the last couple of weeks, our world works on what? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Everybody know what that is? Do we encounter that in our world today? A little bit? A little bit? No. Tell me it's not so. We don't encounter that in our world today. Well, in the ancient world, it was very much, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And what did people do? If they wanted to get right with Zeus, and you use that terminology, but if they wanted a blessing in their lives, they went down to the temple of Zeus, they made a sacrifice. If they wanted to be right with Dionysius, they got a six pack and went down and partied with them on Friday night, because that's what you did when you worshiped Dionysius. And if something good didn't happen in your life, you know why? You didn't make enough sacrifice. You didn't do enough. The radical thing of what God did is that God sacrificed for you and I first. He doesn't want sacrifice for us. Why? Because no sacrifice will ever be good enough. It is the fact that God himself sacrificed his son by dying on the cross for you and I. There's nothing that we have to do. We just have to honor that sacrifice. That's all that God asks us to do, to honor that sacrifice. Now, fifth week, we talked about erecting the frame, which is what? 
You basically put up the sides, you put up the structure. And the secret that we talked about that week, the, the secret that Paul refers to is that Christ lives in us. That doesn't seem very radical in, for people who were raised in a church or a Judeo-Christian background. But for the ancient world, the body was considered weak. It was considered trash. It was considered corrupt. And so for Paul to say that the God of the universe actually dwells within a frail, corrupt, trashy human body that was lucky to live to 30 years old because they didn't have modern medicine or anything like that was crazy, crazy. And it was silly. But yet Paul says that, and the Bible tells us that God dwells within us when we are believers of him and that he is the skeleton. He is the structure. He is the frame of our lives. Six weeks, we talked about putting on the roof. What do you do when you put on the roof? It protects you from what? The elements, the rain, right? The roof protects you. And so Paul says in the next segment of Colossians, he says, listen, be careful because people are going to try to move you away from your faith. How will they do that? How will they move you away from your faith? One of the main ways they'll do is they'll tell you that just believing, just have, well, believing is not faith anyway, but having faith in Christ is not enough. That's, you got to go down, you got to do some other things. Ooh, look at me. I bow down five times a day to whatever. I go and I do 8,000 prayers. I light five fifty thousand candles. I have real religion. You have fake religion. But you know what? When we add anything to what Christ has done, we dishonor him. You know why? Because when we come to church and we say we honor Jesus, and then we go down and bow down to a statue, whether it be a Buddhist statue or a Christian statue or any other kind of statue, we bow down to it. We're saying that the work of Jesus is not sufficient. We are insulting God because God says that only the work of Jesus is sufficient to make us right with God. By the way, that's the framing of the roof. And last week we put on the sheetrock and stucco. People don't see the frame. I'm sorry. People don't see, well, they don't see the frame. They don't see the foundation. What do they see? They see the sheetrock of your life. They see the walls. They see that part, the windows, the walls, the doors, that part of the house. That's what they see first. Paul talks in this section, segment about the way you live your life. Why does he talk about the way you live your life? The way you live your life is really important because that's what people see. People are not, if you're kind to your coworker who doesn't deserve kindness, they're not necessarily going to know that Jesus lives in your heart and that that's why you're being kind. But they will see your kind action and you will do what? If you're faithful to God, you will point them to the foundation of your kindness. You will tell them that it is because of Jesus that I am different and that I am trying to do what I can to live my life for God. So today we're going to install the fixtures. Now, here's the interesting thing about today. Today is a very, very well-known passage in the Bible. It is one that is often confused and misunderstood. Why? And you know why, if you've been here the last eight weeks, it's because it's taken out of context. It's taken out of context. I am not going to, I'm going to try really hard not to deal with a lot of details, though I am going to talk to you about the structural issues this morning that go along with this passage. By the way, this passage is about what? How men and women treat each other. How husbands and wives are supposed to treat each other. And a lot of times when we just surface read the Bible, we grab a couple passages out, a couple sentences out, we apply them and say, oh, you're supposed to do this to me. You're supposed to do that to me. It doesn't really work. But what we're going to do is install the fixtures. You know why? How many of you want to have a house with one of these? But we don't want that. We want to actually do what? We actually want to have fixtures in our house. We want to have indoor plumbing. We want our lives to be what? Let's go back. We want to make sure our lives are livable and comfortable. Yes, that's right. You're in church, and I'm telling you that God wants your life to be comfortable. How is your life going to be comfortable? It's going to be comfortable by having good relationships with your family. It's going to be comfortable by having good relationships with your family. And so we're going to talk about this this morning because I don't want you to, I don't want you to have an outhouse. Outhouse is easy. Putting it indoor plumbing is a little bit more difficult. All right, we're going to see what the Bible says. You can open up your paper Bibles, your iPhones, your Galaxy tabs, your droids, your whatever, your scrolls, your codexes. Colossians 3, 
Colossians 3, 18, 4 through 1. Colossians 3, 18. All right, again, here's what we're going to do. This is a big issue. You've all heard this before in some context or another. Let's knock it out and see what happens. Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Now remember, when we're dealing with this, Paul doesn't just out of the blue say to do these things. It's context, context, context. What's the context here? How to live our lives to honor God. That's the context. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything that you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. So in whatever situation you're in, your master, even though you may have a master, whether it be a slave owner, whether it may be a creditor, may your boss, your master really is Christ and don't lose focus of that. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. Actually, it doesn't say that. Actually, it says in the original language that God does not pick sides. It doesn't show partiality in human debates. He is only concerned in the interest of the person coming to have relationship with him and letting him sort it out. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master who is in heaven. All right, this is a, it's not actually a difficult passage, but it's misused a lot. Let's talk about this here this morning. First of all, be sure to love your family. Be sure to love your family. Paul is basically saying this. He's saying, listen, that if we want to honor God with our lives, loving our family is really important. It's really simple. Where does the book of Colossians take us? Even more than all the, you know, stuff and that sort of thing. He, the Colossians starts with what? How we know God, how we have relationship with God. Number one. Number two, how we do what? Live our lives for God, our personal relationship with God. And then number three, how we do what? How we treat the people closest around us. Guess what we're going to talk about next week? How we treat the rest of the world. That's also the logical progression that Paul uses here. It's really actually very simple. One of the things that we're called to do is be able to love and honor our families. Is it easier to love your family or love people outside of your family? That's a no-brainer. It's easier to love people outside of your family because people outside your family aren't telling you you have to pick your clothes off the floor. They're not telling you how to roll the toilet paper, how to put the toilet paper roll on there, left way or right way. They're not trying to tell you what time you have to come home and have supper. They're not trying to tell you to get your kids ready, not trying to tell you to get your laundry out of the dryer. They're not trying to tell you how to live your lives largely because we don't like people to tell us how to live our lives. Yet at the same time, if we cannot love our family and we cannot have great relationships with our family, all of the relationships we have people with people outside of our family are secondary in importance and secondary in relevance to our family. It is absolutely critical that we learn to love our families. Will it be easy? This is okay. BBC is an honest church. We're totally honest, as you're going to see in just a couple of minutes. We're totally honest. It's hard to love your family. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to love my wife sometimes. You know, I just want to show love by, for my wife by going in my man cave and playing video games for a while. That's, that's the way I want to show love, right? But is that showing love? No, that's not showing love. That's really disrespecting her and not honoring her, as we're going to talk about in a minute. So we're going to be sure to show our love to our family. Paul says this. He says, listen, husbands, oh, sorry, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, honor your wives, and never treat them harshly. Listen, Paul gives a very simple overview of family relationships. One of the struggles that we have in dealing with this passage is sometimes we want it to say more than it does. We want it to give all the answers and all the explanations in every relationship issue. 
Paul's not trying to do this here. He's just basically trying to give us a quick overview that says, listen, these are the way that we should treat each other, that we should be able to have a relationship with our wife, with our husband, that we work together, that we are working together, that we are submitting to each other, that we are honoring each other. And you know what? Here's the thing that happens. Let me just be clear. We often forget that prior to the 20th century, there were no books on how to have a good family. Can you believe that? I mean, all of us grew up with like Dr. Spock or Dr. Phil or Dr. whatever, you know, telling us how we do. I mean, if you go to Barnes and Noble Borders, there's millions of books on how to raise your family. But that is a 20th century phenomenon. That if you went back to the 1850 and tried to buy a book on how to raise your family, there were none. There were none. People did not know how to do it. And for whatever reason, it was never an interest. Well, they didn't have psychology, they didn't have counseling, and, you know, a, there's human reasons too. It was just never really an issue. If you go back in the ancient world and look at literature from the ancient world, uh, both secular and uh, religious and uh, in any type of ancient literature, it's very, very rare. And in fact, I can think of no example outside of the Jewish Christian worldview that ever deals at all with family, other than maybe, you know, some of the Greeks or Romans would tell the men, hey, be men, treat your wife however you want to. You're, you're the king, you do that. I mean, that was, you know, occasionally there would be that. But never. So the, listen, Paul's not trying to lay out a 12-step program for solving all your family problems. What he's trying to do here is give you an overview that wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, honor your wives. Now, here's what this means, though. Because one of the problems is, is that we misunderstand these words. We get really focused, hypermyopic on a couple of these words. I want to challenge you this more not to do that because of the context that Paul is coming from. Submitting and honoring are part of working together. What is Paul saying here? He's saying we need to work together. What is the context? You know if you've been here the last eight weeks, the context is to live a life that honors God. We cannot live a life that honors God if we do not honor our spouses, if we do not honor our children, if we do not honor our master, if we do not honor our servants. We cannot do it. Paul is using the most common examples from the ancient world to say, listen, we must honor the people around us. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, again, is that <laughs> we don't want to submit. We don't want to honor. We want to do what we want to do, right? Now, is this true or not? Is this true or not? This is a man's man right here. I'm telling you what, this is it right here. This guy, I'll tell you what, this is true, right? All right, if this is true, is that true? Yes, that's true too, isn't it? That's true. Now, here's the thing. This idea of role relationships is difficult, but actually a friend of mine who is a theologian um, happened to actually put this in perspective for me one time that I thought was probably better than anything I've ever read having to do with relationships between men and women. He said, listen, here's the way it is. Men excel at being lazy. We do. We can waste the whole Saturday afternoon watching TV and we'll do it better than anybody else in the world. We excel at being lazy. Women don't need men. Women can take charge of every situation and run it better than any man ever could. In fact, now that they have cloning, you don't need man at all. You just have a baby yourself. You don't need, I mean, even the romantic comedies that come out of Hollywood now, it's always like they have the woman, she's totally self-determined, she has the baby, and later she finds the guy because the guy is not even necessary. We are out of date men. We are. And by 50 or 100 years from now, there won't be, won't even, we'll just be an accessory like a purse to women. That's the way it's going to be. I'm hoping I'm like a Louis Vuitton accessory, but I'm not kidding myself. I'm like a Target accessory, okay? That's, just, that's what it is. Listen, women are great at telling people what to do. Men are great at being lazy. 
God asks us to do the opposite of our broken human nature. He asks women to stop trying to tell everybody what to do, take it down a notch, and ask men to get off your lazy butt and take responsibility for your families. That's what he's doing here. Is it hard for women to submit? Yes. But let me tell you, ladies, is it hard for a man to get off his butt, get out of his man cave, and take responsibility for a family? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And if you're honest with yourself for a minute, you know it is. Why? Because it's our broken, sinful nature that causes us to act the way that God doesn't want us to act. Doesn't want us to act. So if you want to honor your family, ladies, you got to take it down. You got to be a team player. You got to listen to your husband. Guys, if you want to be, if you want to work together, you got to get your butt out. You got to get going. You know what? Your, by the way, as I read the word of God, the responsibility of the family and the children is the man's. So if the children turn out like hellions, it is the guy's responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen. The burden is on the men. That's what God asks us to do, to not be lazy, but to take a, take a step forward and be responsible for our families. That's why it's hard, because it goes against our nature. That's why we don't like to hear it. No woman likes to hear, shh. No guy likes to hear, get off your butt. We don't like to hear it because it's the way our human nature is. Now, here's the thing. Feminism and patriarchalism are both broken human philosophies and power one gender over the other. That's the truth. If we're honest for a second, look, I know it's not fair. I know patriarchalism was in control of the world, was the dominant philosophy for thousands and thousands of years. It's only been a hundred years that feminism has been in charge. But you know what? Both of them are wrong and broken. Why? Because they're human philosophies that basically empower one gender over the other. It's not the way it is. You're not supposed to have power over your spouse. You're supposed to work together. You know what? Every time I ever have done marriage counseling in all the years I've done it, and my wife is a therapist and she'll agree with me 100% on this, and we don't agree much when it comes to theory of counseling because we have two different styles. But one thing we always agree on is every person who ever comes to marriage counseling is always right and their spouse is always wrong. I mean, let's be honest. You're, you're, you know, there's only one way to put the toilet paper. There's only one way to where to put your clothes in the house. There's only one place to put the trash can outside your yard, right? And you're right and your spouse is wrong. Come on, go ahead and admit it. Feel good about yourself. You can admit, you're, you're mostly right. Okay, you're wrong every now and again, but really you're, you're right. And your spouse is always wrong. I'm right. My wife is, she's not in here right now. She's in the kids. She's always wrong, pretty much. I mean, that's true. Look, I can ask everybody this, and we all feel like we're always right because it's the way we were raised. It's the way our parents instilled values in us. It's the way culture instills value in us. We think that we're right. It makes sense to us, and therefore the other person is wrong. You know what? Both of you usually are wrong because usually there's not one solid, distinct answer. It's just you figuring out how to work together. There is no one right way to put the toilet paper, no one right way to fold the towels. How many of you had a fight over how to fold towels? I have. There's no one right way. But if you want to work together and honor God, you'll do what? You'll figure out a way to fold towels that make both people happy. Why? So we're going to talk about minutes because God is asking you to do that to put aside yourself and put your spouse and your family first. Now, just want to be clear here for anybody who's upset about the word submit. This is a famous Saudi newscaster who was beaten to the point of death by her husband. Now, domestic violence occurs in every situation. My wife does domestic violence counseling when, she, when she's taking time off right now because of kids, but that's what she does. So I'm very, believe me, she and I are experts on domestic violence and I won't go into a whole lot of reasons. Here's the thing. Every, most countries in our world today, even today in the 21st century, it's about power over the other one. And by the way, don't think women don't beat up men. 
because they do. It's not as common, but it does happen all the time. It does happen all the time. So don't fool yourself into thinking that. The world has always worked on what? Power. Who has power over the other one? I can beat you. I can make you. I can force you. That's not what God says about submitting or honoring. God says work together. Work together. I know it's graphic, but I want to be honest because the biblical view has nothing to do with that. Submitting has nothing to do with that. Submitting is harder because you're doing what? You're saying, I'm going to voluntarily not tell him how to fold the towels, even though he's wrong. I'm going to not tell him how to fold the towels and just work together because it glorifies God. That's what submission is. And also that we're to treat other people right. You see, Paul's context of slavery, he deals with slavery here. And slavery is one of these issues that also is offensive to many of us because we think, you know, slavery. But let's not kid ourselves. Slavery is alive and well today as it ever has been in the world. Sex slavery is one of the biggest crimes that goes on in our world. I don't know the statistics, but I believe it's tens, if not hundreds of thousands of women every year are sold as sex slaves um, in our society. Slavery is evil and it always has been. But we want to understand what Paul is trying to say here when he deals with this issue of slavery, because he's not really talking about slavery per se. He's talking about the way we live our lives in whatever context we find, whether we're a husband, whether we're a father, whether we're a spouse, whether we're a master, whether we're a slave, our goal is to honor God in that situation. Let's keep in mind here, when Paul deals with these issues, number one, Paul is not advocating slavery. A lot of people would wish that Paul would have written a whole treatise on how slavery is wrong. Sometimes I kind of wish he would have too, because that would have, but then they would have come up, non-Christians would come up with other arguments and that sort of thing. Paul's not writing a treatise on slavery. He's doing what? Writing an argument, a short argument on how we're to glorify God with our lives. And being, having a relationship with Jesus trumps everything else. Because if we're right with God, every, he will work out everything else in our lives. Number two, slavery was sometimes voluntary in the ancient world. Now, slavery was also very brutal at times in the ancient world, but there was a lot of variety. And so, Slavery, the main thing to take away is that it was something that everybody in the ancient world knew about, understood about, because it was part of their day-to-day life. It was just very common. People actually sold themselves as slave voluntarily, which seems crazy to us because most of our slavery that exists today because of laws and rule of law is always very brutal and very evil. Now, number three is this. The Bible focus. The Bible's focus is on people's relationship with God, not social justice. These kind of things that we wish the Bible dealt with, that's great, but The Bible is solely interested in you honoring God because God knows that if you honor God with your lives, everything else will take care of itself. You don't believe me? Try it. Most lukewarm Christians, they come to church on occasion. They're involved with God very irregularly and their lives are broken and they don't know why. And it's because they haven't put God first. It's as simple as that. Now, living it out is difficult, but it really becomes quite as simple as that. And D, it was radical for the Bible to tell owners to be fair. Listen, in the ancient world, if you're a man, you did what you want to with your wife. You beat her, it's fine. And nobody had a problem with that. If you're, if you're owned slaves, whether they're voluntary slaves or you took them as prisoners of war, whatever it was, they were young kids that you, you, you know, that you bought, whatever it is, nobody told you what to do. You were the master. You did what you wanted to. Paul here is saying, listen, you got to treat each other with respect. That was radical in the ancient world. Again, he's not writing a whole treatise, but what he's saying is absolutely unheard of in the ancient world. I just challenge anybody, go back to the ancient world and find any treatise on treating your slaves nice. You can't do it because it doesn't exist. There is none. Paul is radical because he says, whatever context you're in, love the people around you. Love the people around you. The real key here is to be obedient in your life place. This is what it comes down to. What, regardless of whatever situation you come in. Hey, how many, how many of you heard about the NFL football player this week who 
said that because the owners wouldn't arbitrate with them, that it was like modern day slavery. He likes to make $2.3 million a year or something. Does anybody know how much he makes? I assumed it was in the two or three. Oh, eight million. He makes eight million dollars a year and he is a slave on the plantation, if I can use that bad metaphor, of the owners. Wow. You know what? I think God would have a strong message for him that it ain't about the money, son. It's about living your life for God wherever he puts you. You know what? Some of us, we, we believe the lie that if we're rich and successful, somehow we'll be happier and everything will be okay, but it's just false. The point here is whether you are a slave at the bottom rung of society or you're an owner at the top rung of society, no matter what it is, your allegiance is to God because he is your master ultimately, not anybody else, not anybody else. And you know what? Far be it for me to not mention that there are far more people probably who occupy the lower rung of society, servants, slaves, janitors, street cleaners, streets, you know, the guys that drive the street sweeper buggy, those guys who honor God more with their lives than any master owner ever did. And so don't worry about your station in life as much as you worry about your relationship with God because God will take care of everything else. That's not some sissy, mamby-pamby, you know, feel good, and then Monday go back out into the real world type of answer. That's the truth, that when you honor God first and you make that relationship first, primary, then everything else will follow from that. But if you don't do that, you don't have the main thing, the main thing, all the minor things will mess you up and will mess it up. So what are we doing it for? Why should slaves submit to their masters? Why should we honor our bosses? Why should we honor the terms of the mortgage that we did? Why should we honor the the financial commitments that we make? We do it because we honor God, not because of the other person. Why do we love our spouses? And why do we try not to aggravate our kids, dads? It's because we want to honor God beyond all else. We do it for his sake. We need his power to do it sometimes. I mean, have you met my wife? Actually, that's a joke because my wife's a sweet one. I'm the jerk. So she could say it the other way and it would be true. Have you met my husband? You know what I have to do to honor him? Yes, honey, we do know what you have to do to honor him. It's a hard work and I give her props for that. But why does she do it? She does it to honor God. Why do we do it? We do it to honor God. Real quickly as we finish up here this morning is this, two things more. The whole point of how we live is to do it for God first. Again, Paul says here, listen, that remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and the master you're serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you've done because God has no partiality. And so in your worldly environment, when you don't do what's right, there's no protection from God. God's not gonna be partial to you just because you you know, you're a slave or just because you're a master, whatever it may be. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. The whole point of this is that we are to honor God with our lives and make him first. The way we live our lives says a lot about our faith. It says a lot about who we are. It says about who we are as people. Can a person be a committed follower of Jesus and not have good relationship with their family? I don't think so. That's the honest truth. I don't think so. Now, I know I'm not talking about the 2% of you or the 5% of you that have terrible family relationships where the other person is doing criminal types of activities. That's a sort of a different situation. But at the end of the day, honoring your family is extremely important. It's extremely important. It is crucial for our relationship with God. Hey, here's the thing. You know what? Having an outhouse is easy. You just need to get a couple two by fours and you can build a little cabin, door optional, you know, and just cut a hole in a plank 
Or I actually saw it one time, they had a chair and they just cut a hole out of the chair with like a coping saw and they just sat in the chair and you just do your business right there. You know, it's easy. It's disgusting, but it's easy. Indoor plumbing takes a lot of work. Having nice fixtures in your house takes a lot of work. Having a good family life takes a lot of work. God asked you to do it. You know why? Because when you do it, you honor God. When you have good relationships with the people who are close to you, you honor God with those relationships. So here's the book of Colossians. Number one, Paul says, let's clear the ground because here's the deal. You're a believer now. You need to live like a believer. You need to act like a believer. You're a believer now. We're going to open the plans. What does God want for you? He just wants you to live a life that honors God. You got to know who God is, but he wants you to honor God with your life. Let's build the foundation. Put the forum work down. We're going to put the forum work down. Forum work is what? God is Jesus. Jesus is God in flesh. We're going to pour the concrete, make the foundation firm, which is what? That Christ sacrificed for us instead of us having to sacrifice for him. We put up the frame. We put up the skeleton. We put up the, the, the two by fours in the house, which is what? Christ lives in us. He dwells within us. That In our day-to-day lives, that personal relationship, that dwelling with us, that skeleton that makes our lives work, he is who does it. We're going to put the roof on immediately afterwards. You know why? Because people are going to try to tell you, oh, Jesus is enough. You come and bow down to this. You, you, you know, I pray more than you. I do this more than you. I light more candles than you. I'm more spiritual than you. Don't listen. Don't honor that. Honor God first and him alone. And then you know what? We put the sheetrock, we hammer up the sheetrock, we put the stucco around the house. When we do that, everybody sees the sheetrock, they see the stucco, they see the walls of the house. It's how you live your life. If you live your life in a way that glorifies God, then people will see that. They don't know what the foundation is, but they will see the walls of your life and they will say something is different about that person. And by then, we want to have indoor fixtures. Why? Because indoor fixtures make your house more livable. Uh, Outhouses are not much fun. We want to have indoor fixtures. They're hard to work to install it. But when we have great relationships with our family and our friends and the people that are the closest to us, we honor God because we're showing our love of God by having fixtures in our life that are changed to honor God. That's it. Let's pray.